Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. that we get to worship a risen Savior this morning? Well, listen, I want to invite you. Let's go ahead and stand up, and we're just going to start by singing the gospel this morning. For God so loved. Y'all sing with us. i 
You may be seated at this time, and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. And as we pray today, two things. Number one, I want you to, uh, you know, praise God, just a, a time of testimony, of praise. Our Uganda mission team made it home safely on Friday uh, after being gone for, I think, about 12 days. And uh, many, many stories have come out of that time in Uganda. Uh, many salvations, uh, many lives changed. And we want to praise God, just give a moment of thanksgiving for his protection over that Uganda mission team. But also, as you are coming in today, you might have noticed all these Samaritan's Purse shoe boxes here on the stage. Uh, every year we collect these boxes, and today's the day that they're to be gathered back here so that we can send them out. And we always like to take a time in our service just to pray over them and pray for the individuals, uh, wherever they are around the world, that might receive them. And so would you just join me in praying over these today? And Father, we thank you this morning for uh, just your mercy, your grace. Thank you, Lord, that as they just sang, for God so loved the world. He, he, lo he loved us all. No matter who we are, the richest or the poor, no matter what corner of the globe we might come from, you have a love for us and a desire to save us, to reconcile us to yourself. And God, as we stand here today, I, I say thank you for that Uganda mission team. Thank you for your protection, your provision. Thank you, God, for going ahead of them and using them in the gospel ministry, seeing souls saved. Even heard the story of, uh, of a man who was a Muslim coming to Christ. And we know there's so many others who came to saving faith through the efforts of this team. And we thank you, Lord, and pray that you'd continue to move in that nation of Uganda. But God, on the stage today represents individuals. All these shoeboxes are going to go into the hands of individuals around the globe. We don't know where they're going to go. But already, Lord, your sovereign hand will move them to where they need to be and put them into the hands of children and families who need them the most. And what we're going to pray is that, Lord, as each one of these boxes are opened and there's somebody from Samaritan's Purse there to share the gospel, that there would be a great harvest of souls as young people, as families from around our world come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, as they offer them a, just a simple gift, but then use that as an illustration of the free gift of God known through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so, God, I, I, I put it all into your hands and just ask you to use it for your glory. God, I thank you for Flat Creek Baptist Church. Uh, Lord, as I stand here on this stage today, I think about the 830 service this morning, all the folks that were represented there, all those who are here at 11 o'clock today. I've had many people come to me today and say, Pastor, can you pray for this? Can you pray for that? And Lord, I know there are many requests weighing heavy on the hearts of individuals in the room today. So God, I want to just lift them all up to you, coming boldly to the throne room of grace and ask you to move and work in each individual's life. Thank you, God, for the work that you're doing. Thank you, God, for the work that you're going to do. We're just going to trust you in it. We love you. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We would like to welcome you to Flat Creek Baptist Church. Let's give our online and radio listening audience a big hand today as well. Thankful for those who join us every Sunday morning, whether in person or online or on the radio. It's always a joy to be able to gather together and worship. But you might be here in the building 
for the very first time. And if you are, we want to say welcome to you. And if you'll just look there in the back of your pews, you're going to find an envelope holder. And in that envelope holder, you're going to find a green connections card. If you could fill that out for us. And on your way out the double doors today, you're going to see a connections tent just over to the right. If you'll turn that connections card in for us, we have a special gift for you. But it's also our way to connect with you during the week. So please do that so that we can come alongside of you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, it's a very special weekend as we commemorate uh, our veterans, and we'd like to take a time now, if you are a veteran of our United States uh, services, military services, would you please rise at this time so that we can recognize you, all veterans. If you'll Hold on, if you'll stay standing, if you'll stay standing, listen, first of all, let me say thank you. Thank you for your service uh, because of you and your sacrifice, uh, being willing to lay down your life for others. Uh, we're able to gather here freely and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of Flat Creek's heart, we all say thank you to each one of you. Uh, but I want you to do this, Flat Creek. I want you to look right around you and see these individuals who are standing up because now is our time of fellowship, okay? I want you to grab these veterans by the hand, hug their neck, tell them how much you appreciate them and their service, and then also greet those around you as we continue our time of worship today with a time of fellowship as we sing Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. If you'll rise and shake the hands of those around you today. Love you, Dale. Love you, Gary. Yeah, appreciate you, man. Appreciate you.
Let's sing it again. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. That's good worship right there. I don't care who you are. That's good stuff. Listen, we, we open this service by singing the gospel. The message that's coming later in the service is the gospel. And I think one thing we do in church oftentimes is we, we overcomplicate the gospel. Listen, it was simple enough for me as a six-year-old to be able to understand what it was to want to give my life to Jesus. And that's the way it should be. We sang it so simply. God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Listen, if that's something that you've already done, if you've already believed in Jesus and began your walk with him, then this is your testimony. Look, sing to the others, it's so sweet to trust Jesus. And let's sing now straight to Jesus and tell him how much we love him. My Jesus, I love
Let's sing this last verse. This is what we have to look forward to. Sing it strong. last song uh, I want to just share something with you I said earlier it, it is so simple uh, that a six a six-year-old like me as nonsensical as I was growing up could understand it but look in case you haven't picked up on it already we want you to know the gospel at Flat Creek Baptist Church and we want you to see how sweet it is to have a walk with the Lord how wonderful it is that we get to sing directly to our Savior we don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through some oracle or conduit or anything like that. We get to sing, Jesus, I love you. And I'm going to tell you, we got four guys, five guys, sorry, Henry, five guys up here. Uh, Stephen's going to lead us in this song. Now more than ever, the longer I've walked with the Lord, the more I cherish the cross. It's sweet to trust him, and I hope you do before you leave. When I started my journey in fresh childlike trust, I believed that the Lord's way was best. I would read from his word how he mothered the bird and grieve when it fell from its nest. How I felt his delight when I chose to do right and prayed I would not make him sad. We would meet on the way in the cool of the day. What a pure, sweet communion we'd had. Oh, but now more than ever I cherish the cross. More than ever I sit at his feet. Oh, the miles of my journey have proved my Lord true. And he is so precious to me. Has sometimes been steep through wild, jagged places of life. Sometimes I've stumbled and fallen so hard that the stones cut my soul like a knife. But the staff of my shepherd would reach out for me and lift me to cool pastures green. Oil of the Spirit anointing my wounds there i'd rest by the clear healing stream 
Oh, but now more than ever I cherish the cross. More than ever I sit at his feet. Oh, the miles of my journey have proved my Lord true. And he is so precious to me. Is love's old sweet story too good to be true? Do you find all this hard to believe? Has the cruel world we've lived in so battered your heart that the hurt child inside you can grieve? I can't say I blame you, I've been where you are. And all I can say is, it's true. You want it. You're precious, you're the love of his heart. And the old rugged cross was for you. Oh, but now more than ever I cherish the cross. More than ever I sit at his feet. Oh, the miles of my journey have proved my Lord true. And he is so precious to me. Oh, but now more than ever I cherish the cross. More than ever I sit at his feet. Oh, the miles of my journey have proved my Lord true. And he is, he, and he is so precious to me. To me. To me. Thank you so much to our praise team and these guys. That was awesome. Thank you all so much. At this time, we'd like to dismiss our children, ages kindergarten through the fifth grade, who have signed up for Children's Church today. You can come right here and Miss Breeze and the other workers will meet you here behind the piano. It's always a joy to see all these children on Sunday mornings. Amen? Amen. Amen. To open your Bibles today to the book of Romans, chapter 6, the book of Romans, chapter 6. And today we're going to be one verse of Scripture, verse number 23, as we continue our walkthrough of the book of Romans. And I will say this, uh, Flat Creek, I am certainly appreciative of you and your desire uh, to hear the Word of God. You know, as an expository preacher, it is not only a commitment on my part to preach word for word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible, but it's also a commitment on your behalf to come every week and to commit yourself to hearing the Bible in that way. And I truly believe it's the only way to preach the Bible is just to, just to say, hey, what does it say? Let's just open it up and let's examine the text. Uh, and we have been hard at the book of Romans since the beginning of February. So every Sunday since February, you've come in here and we've listened to the book of Romans. And so today, 623, we're going to close out chapter 6 and then we're going to take a break until January. So we're going to give you a few weeks out of the book of Romans as we're now coming into the Christmas season and want to pause for just a moment 
during the Christmas season, bring a series of messages to you over the next six weeks entitled, Only Jesus. We're going to be looking at some of the prophecies of the first coming of Christ and show you how Jesus is the only one who fulfills those prophecies. Uh, but today, we're going to close out this little chapter of the book of Romans with Romans 6.23, a message that I want to entitle, The Gospel in 21 Words. The Gospel in 21 Words. I, I want to start today by just sharing a, a personal story with you that happened to me when I first became a preacher, a pastor. Now, you have to understand that one thing that I was always so cautious about, one thing that I was always so scared of, <coughs> was that people would, uh, would, would, would give me compliments and pat me on the back and that somehow I would get this, this really big head and I'd walk in a lot of pride. And so what I did when I first became a pastor was I always avoided the double doors at the back of the sanctuary. I, I never wanted anybody to shake my hand. So as soon as the service was over, I would find the quickest route to my car, get to my car before anybody could speak to me because I didn't want anybody boasting me up, propping me up. Over time, I began to talk to some other pastors, and they said, well, well Zach, it's okay. Look, people want to talk to you. People want to get to know you. So it's, it's not a matter of pride. It's just a matter of just being able to converse with your folks. And so it's, it's not a bad thing. And so I decided that I would start standing at the doors, as I do here at Flat Creek on Sundays, in order to talk to people. And so I remember this one evening down in South Carolina, I got what I consider to be the greatest compliment I ever got as a preacher. However, the moment that it was given to me, I didn't take it as a compliment. In fact, the moment the individual said this to me, it actually made me very angry and I wanted to kick him, to be honest with you. <laughs> it was a Sunday night, I had preached out of the book of Matthew on Jesus calming the storms. And, and as you have probably heard sermons over your life. I, I preached kind of that generic type message of Jesus calming the storms in your life. And when the service was over, I was standing there at the double doors and everybody's coming out and I had this one church member named Mr. Johnny Williams. Johnny was around 90 years old at the time. Johnny and his wife, Miss Fanny, they were always faithful to come to church and on this day, here they came, they come walking out the doors, and, and Johnny, uh, he was a shorter fella, he was kind of hunched over, and he got to me, and he shook my hand, and this is what he said to me. He said, preacher, that was simple enough for a child to understand. Now, Brother Mike, when he said that to me, my initial reaction was, what do you mean? It was simple enough for a child to understand. I mean, didn't you hear the deep theology? <laughs> didn't you hear the, the deep doctrine that I, that I preached? I mean, didn't you get all four of my alliterated points and my poem? I mean, didn't you get it all, Mr. Johnny? And I went home that evening, and I was honestly really upset about it. I, I felt like he had kind of called me dumb, to be honest. So for the next 24 hours, I just stewed on that for a while. The next evening, I was sitting there, and it dawned on me. You know, that's how it should be. Amen. That's how the gospel should be preached. Amen. The gospel should be preached in such a way that it is simple enough for a child to understand. I remember having a homiletics professor in Bible college, and, and I remember he stood up before us one day, and he said, boys, 
Anytime you stand in the pulpit and preach God's word, remember this simple acronym, KISS, K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Talking directly to me. I would actually, though, friends, I would, I would venture to say this is where we've gotten it wrong. As a pastor, you know, I've led many evangelism classes all designed to help people get out and share their faith. And anytime I teach those classes, I always will ask the question, what are some reasons that, that maybe somebody would not share their faith? And the number one reason that people say they won't share their faith is the reason of fear. Not necessarily a fear of rejection, rather a fear that they're not going to know what to say. Fear that somebody's going to ask a question or begin to engage them in a debate and the person is going to be stuck with no answer. In essence, what they're saying is this, I'm not smart enough to tell somebody about Jesus. I don't have theological training. I don't have a master of divinity. I don't have a doctorate of theology. What if I fail? Well, friends, guess what? Here's the good news. You don't have to tell, have any of those things to tell somebody about Jesus. The gospel at its core is a simple message, so simple that it took Paul only 21 words to sum it up. Romans 6.23 is a verse that you learned in vacation Bible school. It's a verse that you've heard your entire life. Its beauty is unmatched, and its simplicity, if you can grasp it, will give you the confidence to share your faith without fear. Everything you need to know about the gospel is found right here in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Now, taking that one verse of Scripture, I want to give you a five-point gospel presentation. And I want to encourage you to write these five points down because if you do, you will have a basic gospel presentation that you can memorize and you can use as you go and share your faith with the lost and dying world. So number one, I want you to see from the text what I like to call the reality of sin. The reality of sin. Now, friends, I know of no idea more offensive to humanity than the idea of sin. We all know that it is far easier to face a problem if we don't have to accept the blame for it. Let's get real. It's far easier for us as humans to say, I am sick, than it is to say, I am wrong. In most churches today, the word sin has become an archaic word of the past, and it is rarely talked about any longer. Pastor J. Gerald Harris once said the following, we have minimized sin in our day. Churches and preachers seem afraid to speak out about the old-fashioned idea of sin. About 10 years ago, uh, Summer and I, when we were still living in South Carolina, she uh, began to have these really bad back problems. I mean, this poor girl would wake up 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and, and she would be down on the floor in pain. Just, just writhing and crying out, and we weren't sure what was going on with her. And many times, the pain would get so bad that I can remember her telling me, I feel like my back is going to explode through my chest. And we went to all these different doctors, and doctor after doctor gave diagnosis after diagnosis, and they would all give a remedy. They would all give a cure. 
They would give her pain medicine. They would give her muscle relaxers. They would give her injections. All these different things. Months and months went by. And every single time that a doctor would tell her what was going on, it would work for a day or two, and then the pain would come back. And we were beginning to get very discouraged until one day she was sharing with a lady at her work what was going on. And this woman said to her, Summer, have you ever had your gallbladder checked? She said, no, I never have. She said, the next time you go to the doctor, ask him to check your gallbladder, which she did. And wouldn't you know, the gallbladder was full of stones. And once she had it removed, there was instantaneous relief. Friends, this is where we must get it right. We must properly diagnose the problem with humanity because if we never properly diagnose the problem with humanity humanity will never understand their need for a savior do you know this morning that the relief you desire the hope of the burden you bear actually being taken off of you the void that you're trying to fill with all of these worldly things can actually be filled but it can only happen through the gospel. But friends, you will never know your need for the gospel. You will never know what the remedy is if you do not first realize your own sinfulness. What does Paul say here in Romans 6, 23? For the wages of sin is death. The Greek word for sin here is the word hamartia. Paul uses it 22 times from chapter 5, 12, to 623. In other words, Paul took sin very, very seriously. Now, in the Greek, the word hamartia, it actually means to miss the mark. And that's the most basic understanding of what sin is. So if I could just paint an illustration for you, just right here in front of me, there's a TV that's hanging on this wall. Now, let's just say where that TV was that we put a huge bullseye right there. And, and somebody gave me a bow and somebody gave me an arrow and they told me to shoot that bullseye. And let's say that I stood here and I did it. I actually pulled back the bow and I shot it and I hit that bullseye right dead in the center. You would say, man, you're a perfect shot. Now let's say I did it again and again and again. And every time I fired it, I was splitting the arrow that I just shot. And I did it a thousand times in a row. You would say, man, Pastor Williams, you are a good shot. In fact, you're a perfect shot. But on the 1,001st time, if I pull back and aim and I fire and I miss by even an inch, what are you going to say? You're not a perfect shot. You missed the mark. Friends, that's what sin is. God has given us his law. God has given us his commands. And every Every single day that you live, even if you hit that bullseye 1,000 days in a row, let's say for 1,000 days in a row, you live perfectly uh, to the, according to the law of God. If on the 1,001st day you fail, you have transgressed the law of God and are guilty in his sight. James chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Here's the truth, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned. 
and fallen short of the glory of God. In one verse, Paul indicts the entire human race in the courtroom of God. He goes on to say in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you know what all means in the original Greek language? All. You liked that, didn't you, Philip? <laughs> oh, guess who that includes? That includes me. That includes you. We have all sinned, no exceptions. Now, there might be somebody in the room today that would object. And they might say, not me. I've kept all of God's laws. I've never broken any of them. I will tell you that you're not the first person in human history to have that posture of heart. In fact, there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus in the Bible. And when he came to Jesus, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What work must I accomplish? What command must I live up to in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. To which the rich young ruler said, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. And the Bible says that Jesus loved him and said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the Bible says that, that the young ruler was saddened and he went away grieving for he, who, for he was one who owned much property. You see, here's what happened. When he was confronted with the law of God and the command to sell all of his possessions, his idolatry came to light. Here was a man who had made money his God. And although he had gotten all those other commands right, no murder, don't commit adultery. He got all those right. He had failed here. He had put something before God and wasn't willing to let it go. And friends, when you and I look into the mirror of God's Word, we too will come to the same conclusion that we are not as good as we think we are. Just take the most simple of all commands. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the most simple of all commands in other words, do not lie. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lied? What does that make you? It makes you a liar, which makes you a sinner. And if you've even broken that, the most simple of all laws, you have broken them all and you are guilty before God. That's the reality. The reality is we are all sinners. This is the foundation which must be laid in any gospel presentation. People must know the reality of sin, and they must come to conclude that they themselves are sinners, which leads to this second point. Secondly, we see from the text that there's a debt which is owed. For the wages of sin, the wages of missing the mark, the wages of breaking God's law is death. Now, the word for wage here in the Greek is the word obscenion. It was used as the word for a soldier's pay. In other words, a soldier would work so many days, so many months. And after he worked that much time, he would receive his obscenion. 
he would receive his pay just like you. You go to work every day, you punch a time clock. You work five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week, 40 hours a week, and at the end, you receive your paycheck. You receive what is owed to you. Your employer is your debtor. They owe you a payment. And here Paul says, there's an obscenium. There's a payment. There's a paycheck which sin owes the sinner. And that payment is death. Now you might remember across chapter 6 that Paul has set up two kingdoms, the flesh and the spirit. He has set up two masters, sin and the Savior. He's even laid forth this idea that all of us are a slave of one of two masters. And here's what Paul is saying here. For the individual who is a slave of that old tyrant known as sin, there is a payday coming. There is a debt which is owed to you. Every day of your life, you have gotten up and you have served that master of sin. You've worked hard for him. You've labored many days for him. Your entire life. And one day, you will receive the just recompense for your labor. And what will that payment be? Death. Romans 6.21, Therefore, what benefit were you deriving of the things of which you are now ashamed? Paul says, what were you gaining from sin? What was the benefit? He says, the only thing that you've ever gained from sin, the only thing that has ever given you is a life of shame, a life of embarrassment, a life of brokenness. And the outcome of those things is death. That's the payment. You might remember Charles Spurgeon. He once sat down at his desk and he determined that he was going to write a parable. And this is the parable that he wrote. I want to read it to you. It says, there was once a tyrant who summoned one of his subjects into his presence. The subject was a blacksmith, and the tyrant ordered the blacksmith to make a chain. That poor blacksmith had to go out to work, and he forged the chain. And when it was done, he brought it into the presence of the tyrant. And the tyrant ordered the blacksmith to take it away and make the chain twice its length. He brought it again to the tyrant, and again the tyrant ordered that he double the length of the chain. And back he came over and over again until finally one day the tyrant looked at the chain and looked at his servants and commanded that his servants bind the blacksmith hand and foot with the chain and cast him into prison. Mr. Spurgeon said, this is what the devil does with men. He makes them forge their own chain. And then he binds them hand and foot with it and casts them into outer darkness. Friends, if you have a biblical worldview, then you can easily identify the main problem with the world. People ask all the time, Pastor, why the calamity? Why the war? Why the terror? Why the sickness? Why the deformity? Why death? And the answer is sin. Sin and death. They are married to one another. They are partners. They are two sides of the same coin. What did God say in the very beginning? He said to Adam, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. 
That's the consequence. That's the payment which is owed for your sin, death. Now, there are two types of death that Paul's mentioning here. The first is physical death. The day you eat of it, you will certainly die. Physical death. You say, how do you know that God keeps that promise? Look out that window. Just outside that window is the Flat Creek Cemetery. People who lived and people who died. Why? Because they were sinners. I remember being a young pastor and this lady in town, she died suddenly of a heart attack. I wasn't her pastor, nor was I the pastor of her family. But I remember when she died, I was friends with the funeral home director, and he said, hey, you might, you know, ask Zach Williams to come and preach the funeral. And so they called me, and I began to go and do some in-home visits with this family. And I remember the daughter, she just continually asked me the question, why? Why would God do this? Why would God take my sweet mama for me? So at the funeral, I answered the question for her. I said, you've asked me for days, why would God do this? You want to know why your mama died. The answer is this, sin. Your mama was a sinner. She broke God's law, and because of that, she died. Now, you can imagine, I was not a very popular guy in town after saying that at somebody's funeral, and I've kind of eased up a bit in my older age. The daughter, I'll never forget, she slandered my name all over town, but I told the truth. God promised, the day you sin, you will die. Genesis 5.5. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Is there any passage of Scripture more heart-wrenching than that one? I mean, don't you want to look at Adam and say, Adam, it didn't have to be this way. Adam, God created you for life. He created you for life eternal. If you had only obeyed the commandment of God, then you would have lived forever in blissful communion with him. But Adam sinned, and Adam received the just payment for his error, and so do we. One day we will die. As a matter of fact, they just spent millions of dollars on a study in America. They went and they evaluated people, adults, all across America, speaking of death. And here's what they found. One out of every one people die. 100%. We will all die. Not only physically, but friends, there's also a second death. A second death that is owed as a payment for sin. It is just, and you will receive your debt. Because of your labor and sin, God will pay you in eternity what you earned. The second death is eternity in a place called hell. Listen to these verses from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. The Lord Jesus is speaking here. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these things, the second death has no power. Revelation 20, 11 through 15, 
and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up their dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Revelation 21.8, But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. For the wages of sin is death physical and eternal death in the lake of fire. Now, there are many today who are going to gloss over hell and they're going to say, that's not true. That's not reality. That's just a religious scare tactic used to kind of get me to live my life a certain way. But friends, I'm here today to tell you that this is the inspired word of God. It's infallible. It's inerrant. And if the Bible says that there is a literal place called hell and that all unrepentant sinners will spend eternity there, you can take it to the bank. It's biblical truth. I take no joy in it. You know, there are a lot of pastors that preach on hell with a smile on their face as if they rejoice that people are going there. No. It breaks my heart. Revelation 1 and 18, or Romans 1 and 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Friends, even the Lord Jesus Christ taught on hell. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ taught about hell more than he did any other subject, including heaven. If you jump back to Luke chapter 16 with me. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. Listen to what he says there. Now, this is Jesus talking. <clears throat> he says, now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. And longing to be filled with crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died, that's death number one, and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died, that's death number one, that's physical death, and was buried in Hades, second death. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I'm in agony in this flame. You know, friends, the rich man didn't expect to find himself in hell. In fact, if you'd have talked to that rich man one hour before he died and you'd have said to him, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Do you know what he would have said? He would have said heaven, of course. And if you would have said, why heaven? He would have said, because I'm a good man. I've given my life to charity. I've given my life to goodness, to integrity, to uprightness. And because of that, heaven is mine. No doubt about it. But what does Romans 3 say? There is none good, no, not one. This rich man could not rely on his goodness as a basis for his salvation. And here's the cold, hard fact. Jesus spoke this story 2,000 years ago. 
Here we are, November the 12th of 2023, 2,000 years later, that rich man is still in hell. He's still there with billions of other spirits who were crying out, saying, send somebody to tell my loved ones. Send somebody to share. Send somebody to declare the way to heaven so that people won't die and come to this place of torment. The reality is, dear friend, we are all sinners. And because we are sinners, there's a debt which is owed. My friends, this is bad news. This is bad news. Anytime I'm sharing the gospel with anybody, I come to this point. Some of you have seen me do this before. But always take two hands. And this is what I say. This is God and this is you. And this is where God wants you to be. God wants you to be right here. God wants you to be in a right relationship with him. Now, that's a good man right there. My old son, Tucker, bringing me some water. Now, I asked for a drop of water to cool off my tongue, but that's not the same. <laughs> Bad preacher joke. <laughs> Hold on one second. I cannot believe that just came out of my mouth. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That was a sore taste, sore taste. But I always take these two hands. On the one side is God, on the other side is you. This is where God wants you to be. But because of sin, you've been separated from him. Now God's over here and you're over here. God is holy and God is righteous and God is just. And you're a sinner. How do I know? Because you just told me you're a liar. So you're over here and God's over here. So how do you get to him? And what inevitably happens every time is you answer the question and you say, well, I'll stop cussing. I'll stop lying. I'll stop getting drunk. I'll stop looking at pornography. I'll stop doing all this stuff. And eventually, I'll work my way to God. There's only one problem. Even if, even if in a crazy scenario, you were to be able to do that for a couple of days, like actually quit sinning and start to work your way back. Eventually, you're going to lie again. Eventually, you're going to steal again. Eventually, you're going to look at pornography again. Eventually, you're going to gossip again. And before long, you're going to be right back where you started. So here's the bad news. There's nothing you can do. Absolutely nothing. That is bad news. Reality of sin, a debt which is owed, bad news. You're lost. There's nothing you can do. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but. Don't you love that? That great hinging point, that great hinging point in which the whole gospel hangs, you can do nothing. And so God in his wisdom did everything. That, that, that but that is put there in the text, it is the great intersection between death and life. Throughout Paul's writings, he delights at that great hinging point. He consistently contrasts the sinfulness of humanity and the consequence of that sinfulness, the bad news, 
with the glorious grace of God found in the gospel. That's the good news. Look back with me, if you will, at Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Romans 3, 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's bad news. But now, good news. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Bad news. You're not righteous. You're not even just. No one would die for you. Good news. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we all too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Bad news. But God, good news, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. You have been saved by grace. Titus chapter number 3, verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Bad news, but good news. When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Lord, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then right here in 623, there's that great hinging point. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the free gift of God, the grace of God. That's your third point in a gospel presentation. The first section of this verse shows that you are paid what you deserve. The second section of this verse tells us that you get that which you do not deserve. Friends, it's the glorious mystery. The mystery which Peter says, causes the angels to stop 
and to stoop to try to look into these things. How is it that the holy, just, righteous God of the universe who cannot dwell in the presence of sin, how is it that this God, by his grace, saves sinners? How is it that he breaks the chains of sin and reconciles sinners to himself? Paul says in Colossians, this is the mystery of mysteries, hidden for the ages, but now revealed to us his saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, let me remind you this morning that sin did not take God by surprise. The gospel story is not the story of how God is somehow trying to right a wrong. The gospel is God's good, right, and eternal plan of redemption now on display to demonstrate his wondrous glory, his magnificent love, his amazing grace in the present age and the age to come. Way back in the garden, Satan thought that he had thwarted God's plan. He thought when Adam sinned, he thought, this is it. I did it. I ruined the whole thing. But what Satan didn't understand is that he had walked into an ambush. God had gone ahead of him. And as soon as Adam fell, this mission, which was hidden in the heart of God from eternity past, was enacted. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And indeed, on the cross of Calvary, that's exactly what happened. As Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What is the debt that is owed? The debt that is owed is death. You deserve death. So in order for you to be justified, in order for you to be set free, there must be a propitiation. Someone must take the punishment for you. Someone must be your substitute. Someone must die in your place. And that's what Jesus did. He died the death that you deserve. And you say, well, how do I know that it was good enough? How do I know that his death can actually forgive me of my sin? Well, it's because three days later, God put his stamp of approval upon the vicarious death of the Lord Jesus Christ by raising up in power, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, the free gift of salvation is offered to you. That's why Paul puts this great hinging point in the text. That's why he puts it throughout his letters. And I'm just wondering, what is your but God moment? When is that hinging point in your life when everything changed? You know, the Apostle Paul, he would say, I was a blasphemer. I persecuted the church. I had religious zeal. I thought I was good. But on the road to Damascus, everything changed as I was confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ. For me, I say I was a fornicator. I was a pornographer, I was an adulterer, I was a drug addict, 
I was an alcoholic. I was a liar. I was a thief. I was dishonoring to my parents. I was an idolater. I was a blasphemer. I was everything you could imagine. I was a trash can. Just throw it in. But God, November 19th, 2009, forever changed me. I've never been the same. The great hinging point of my life, what's the great hinging point of yours? When is your but God moment? The grace of God, which leads to this fourth point, the gift which is given. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life. In that same story of the rich man in hell, there's another man named Lazarus. And what do you notice about the moment that he died? The moment that he died, he went on living. The moment he died, the angels were there to carry him away to Abraham's bosom. If you were to ask Lazarus an hour before he died, where are you going? He would have said, I deserve hell. I deserve to go to the bottom of the pit. I deserve outer darkness. But because of Jesus, I have heaven to look forward to. And here's the truth. Just as the rich man has been in hell for 2,000 years, Lazarus today is in the presence of our Savior in heaven. He still lives. A few weeks ago, I was in my office, and I was in the middle of a meeting, and my phone rang. It popped up on the screen, Momaw Williams. And anytime Momaw calls, you know it's going to be a good day. She's got something to tell you. And Momaw called, and I wasn't able to answer, so she left me a voicemail. When I listened to the voicemail, here's what it said. It said, Zach, I wanted to call you and tell you something. God put it on my heart to tell you. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. And then she hung up the phone. And that was the only message she gave me. But isn't that what Jesus said to Nicodemus? If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. You must be born afresh. You must be born anew. There must be a change. You must be born by the Spirit. Eternal life, my dear brother and sister, is available to you for those who have been born twice. This old world is not all there is. There is a city, the Bible says, whose builder and maker is God. There is a place, the Bible says, that eye has not seen nor has ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. There's a place, 2 Corinthians 12, that the Bible says that there was a man who was caught up into the third heaven. And the things he saw were inexpressible in words. There's a place, Revelation 21, 3 through 4 tells us, that in that place, that God will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will be no mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. Remember Jesus, John 14, 1 through 6, what he say? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Amen. Thomas said, wait a minute. Lord, we don't, we, we don't know where you're going and we certainly don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Isn't it amazing that we talk about eternal life, that you can have a place there? You and me, those who have been separated from a holy God because of sin, we can actually have a seat at the Lord's Supper table for all eternity. If you just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Who, he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What does that verse teach us? What does Romans 6.23 teach us? Your eternity, the determining factor of hell or heaven, of one death or two, is your response to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's your fifth point. When we talk about a gospel presentation, there's an invitation to come. The wages of sin is death. That's the reality of sin and the terrifying expectation of a payment owed. But that's the grace of God manifested, the free gift of God, eternal life. That's the gift in Christ Jesus our Lord. An invitation to come to Jesus. It's what Paul's been teaching us across six chapters of Romans. It's the entire narrative of Scripture. There is salvation in only one. There is reconciliation to God in only one. That one being the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You will notice what Paul said, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now some of your Bibles might say through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's not a good translation. The translation is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the Greek, E-N. In the English, I-N. In. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is that a big difference? Well, if you come through Jesus, that becomes a religious exercise. Let me just check the box. I'm just going to come through Jesus just like I could come through Buddha or Muhammad or anybody else. I'll just come through them. But Paul says eternal life is found in. Amen. This denotes an intimate relationship, a union, a reconciliation. Those who have been separated, God over here, you over here. God came to you in the person of Jesus. And if you believe in him, guess what? You can be in him. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. For as many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Don't you know that all of us who have baptized into Christ Jesus have become united with him in the likeness of his death? 
planted with him, engrafted in him. Jesus said, John 15, abide in me and I in you. Are you in Christ Jesus? That's the question of the hour. That's the question upon which your entire eternity hangs in the balance. Is Jesus just a religious checkbox or is he your life? Because notice what Paul says. In Christ Jesus our Lord. That old tyrant, that old taskmaster of sin, that chain has been broken and you've been shackled by Christ. What does he say there in the text in Romans 6? He says in verse 22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit. What's the benefit? Sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Have you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? That's the invitation. As we come to a close, I'm reminded of this Christian magazine that once published a story about a father's love for his daughter. The young girl, she just really loved fine jewelry. She wanted a pearl necklace. She worked hard for a pearl necklace, but when she went to buy it, she realized the pearl necklace was too expensive, but there was an imitation pearl necklace just beside it. So not having the money for the real thing, she bought the imitation. And her daddy saw how much she loved the necklace. So every night he would come to her bed and he would say, Jenny, do you love me? And she would say, yes, daddy, I love you. And he'd say, well, then give me your pearls. And she would say, daddy, not my pearls. I saved my money. And these are mine. I love them. And this conversation went on for weeks. Every night, do you love me? Give me your pearls. Until finally one night, Jenny relented with tears running down her cheeks. And she said, here, daddy, you can have them. Her father took those pearls and he put them in his pocket and he reached into his pocket of his robe and he pulled out a velvet case and handed her a strand of genuine pearls that he had had all along. He was just waiting for her to surrender the imitation so he could give her the genuine. Friends, our Heavenly Father has made the same invitation to us. Amen. He says, do you love me? Give me your life. And we, we kind of kick back against that and we squirm against that thought of surrender and we struggle to give our lives to God because that thought could be agonizing. But when we finally say yes, he takes what's cheap in our life and gives us what's priceless. Amen. He gives us his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Or is he? Is he the Lord of your life? I want to assure you that if you completely trust him, Jesus is for you. He has your best interests in mind, and he will never fail you. Have you given your life to him? Friends, just a simple 21-word gospel presentation. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reality of sin, a debt which is owed, the grace of God, a free gift, an invitation to come. Just wonder, dear friend, have you given your life to Christ? Or maybe today would be that day that you would say yes to Jesus. 
We're going to have a time of invitation. Our musicians are going to come and they're going to sing a song entitled, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Heads bowed and eyes closed as they come today. And as they're coming, number one, I want to talk to the believer. Talk to the individual who already has a relationship with Jesus. And I want to encourage you to take those five points that I've just given you, put them in a notebook, put them in the front of your Bible, and use them to share the gospel message. As I said at the beginning, you don't have to have a doctorate degree or master's degree to tell people about Jesus. Just take those five simple points, and you can walk right through them, and you can share them with anybody. Bring them to the cross of Calvary and show them that Jesus died for their sins. There may be also a second group of individuals in the room today, and that's the person who's never given their life to Jesus. You've come here today, somebody's invited you. You really don't even know why, but you're here. You've heard the gospel presented, and you would say, you know what, when I heard those five points, I can say with all my heart, I've never truly given my life to Jesus, but I want to make that right today. Is there anybody here today that would raise their hand and say, Pastor, I've never been saved, but today I want to be saved. Would you just raise your hand? Anybody today would raise their hand and say, today's my day of salvation. Anybody at all, raise your hand. I got you back there, brother. If you want to pray today to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. We're going to have just a time of silence. I want everybody just to be silent. It's not a magical prayer that I can pray for anybody to be saved. I can't, I can't do this for you. I wish I could. I wish I could take you all the way through the gate, but I can't. This is between you and him. And so we're going to give you a few moments just right here in silence. I'm going to give you a few moments to just pray and ask the Lord Jesus to save you. Repent, believe, and be saved. Call out to him and ask him to save you right now in the quietness of your heart. We're going to give you a few moments of silence. Anybody at all that needs to be saved, this is your opportunity. You pray right now.
Let's give the Lord a big hand today. Everybody, this is, this is Jeb, okay? And uh, he's been visiting our church, I believe, for two weeks, I think. And today he comes to give his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He's here today with his wife, Kate. She's back there on the back row back there. I know she's a, a proud wife today. Uh, here's a new creation in Christ, Flat Creek. And we praise God that when the gospel is presented, he's still saving souls. Amen. Amen. And here's the truth. The Bible says when one sinner repents, that all the angels in heaven, they rejoice. And his name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And maybe today you've never given your life to Christ. It's not too late. Amen. It's not too late. You'll see me at those double doors. You come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. Jeb's going to come with me. I'm going to get his wife, Kate, on the way out. Let them fellowship for a moment. But I want you to come and shake his hand and tell him how thankful you are to have him as a brother in Christ. Brother Caleb, if you'll close us with a word of prayer, this is your invitation. If you're visiting with us, please go by that Connections tent. If you'd like to give, you can give on your way out or you can give online, flatcreekchurch.net. Brother Caleb, if you'll pray. Lord, we're so grateful that we get to gather together and worship you with our church family this morning. And what a special day it is. Another name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. We celebrate with their family as we leave and go our separate ways. Lord, I pray that as we do leave, uh, I pray that you'd bless us with strength and boldness to preach the gospel to ourselves every day and to share it with everyone we come in contact with. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're going to encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. And for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net.
Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia.